This is Masters Cast, the first He-Man and She-Ra podcast, episode number three for October 30th, 2005. Welcome to the third episode of Masters Cast, the first He Managed Hero podcast. I'm Josh Delioncourt, and I've got two other co hosts with me this week as well. I am Katie Carty, also known as Rainbow Bright. And I am John Callis, also known as The Shadow. So we're talking about the movie this week. Yes, we are. The live action, the live action movie. movie. Starring Dolph Lundgren as He Man and Frank Langella as Skeletor. That A was a very cool movie. Uh, released in 1987 to theaters around the world. 18 years ago. And oh, I don't, don't think feel it so old. <laughs> <laughs> the movie is currently available from Warner Brothers on DVD, and it has some nice bonus features. You get the theatrical trailer, and you also get a great commentary by the director of the movie, who is Gary Goddard. As we mentioned in a previous podcast, the movie actually has a pretty stellar cast. Besides Dolph Lundgren and Frank Langella, we have Courtney Cox is in the movie, who of course is very famous for her role as Monica on Friends. And I believe you Star Trek nuts out there like some other guy in the movie. If you could explain, because I'm a little out of that league. <laughs> Go ahead, What's his Katie. name? Yeah, uh, Robert Duncan McNeil played Kevin, uh, Julie's boyfriend in the movie. And yes, he starred in Star Trek Voyager as, is it Lieutenant Paris? Or yeah, Lieutenant, Paris? Uh, Lieutenant Tom Paris. Okay. And he was one of my favorite characters in Voyager as well. He was my favorite character in Voyager, actually. <laughs> he was a great character. Yeah, totally. Just a little trivia, since I, I'm a very big fan of Friends. The sorceress is played by Christina Pickles, and she plays Monica's mother on Friends. Oh, so how funny. You have two Friends alumni in the <laughs> Masters of the Universe movie, because they'll be there for you. It <laughs> <That> was cheesy. <laughs> I try. So the, the point of today's podcast is we're kind of going to go through the movie and try to add as much commentary, trivia, bits that we can, opinions. I have with me one of the early drafts of the Masters of the Universe movie script, of course, still written by David O'Dell, and it's dated December 5th, 1985, and the movie wasn't released until 1987, so that goes to show you how far in advance even the script is written before they start shooting the movie, and this script has gone through, obviously, after seeing the movie, many revisions, but I tend to like this draft the most. So the movie starts out with the nice uh, voiceover. Does everyone like that? About uh, the center of the universe. I think you should repeat it for us, Shadow. <laughs> <laughs> all right, but only if you guys join in. So Fine. All right. At the center of the universe. At the border between the light and the dark. Stands Castle Grayskull. And there it was. A very lovely, <laughs> I assume is a painting of Castle Grayskull, which looks fantastic. Of course, it looks nothing like Castle Grayskull in the cartoon or the toy line, but it's quite stylized <laughs> for the movie. All right, so the movie opens and we see a nice uh, battle-torn area of Eternia, and then we get the ominous music as Skeletor walks into what 
some people would assume is Castle Grayskull. Some people might think is Snake Mountain. We really don't know yet until we get the lowdown from Evil Lynn on what's going on. Now, I just would like to point out that the original script has a completely different opening. Are you intrigued? Definitely. Tell us about it, Shana. <laughs> it opens up with a dying soldier. Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> but you will be happy to know that the Road Ripper, which is a toy, is mentioned in the opening sequence here. Eternia, a land devastated by futuristic war. Fire-blackened vehicles smolder alongside the roads. The dead lie on a scarred battlefield. The cries of wounded echo pitifully. A once peaceful and prosperous country has been turned into a nightmare landscape. A few refugees flee down the road. A dying soldier suddenly steps out from the shadow of a burnt-out road ripper and confronts them. His shiny laser armor is pitted and fused. One leg is charred to the bone, and he supports himself on the butt of his shattered neutron rifle. Then the next scene is pretty much the same, except Skeletor uses a giant bird-like uh, ship to sail to Castle Grayskull. And then we find out he has the sorceress captured, and that He-Man is still alive. Is that where he does the big, uh, like, face-in-the-sky, talking doom to everyone scene? Yes, which actually is that. still in this script. Cool. So he flies there in a bird-like ship. Is that uh, some precursor to the uh, the uh, Blasterhawk? Grayskull is spelled incorrectly in the script, but I will forgive them. <gasps> How dare With they. an E. Yes. Yuck. Just in case it's everyone... It's an A. Exactly. Everybody knows it's an A. All fans know. G-R-A-Y-S-K-U-L-L. Recognize. <laughs> the only fan that doesn't shall remain nameless, but is quite famous for... Uh, Incorporating total eclipse of the heart into his version of Masters of the Universe. Yeah. <laughs> Don't bring back such painful memories, please. Oh, do forgive. All right, let's see. All right, he's talking to the sorceress, my pretty captive, Nuni Nuni. He Man already has Gwildor with him, and Tila and Man at Arms find him, and they have the cosmic key with them. Sorry, they talk about the cosmic key. And according to the IMDb trivia, Gwildor was a character created to replace Orko. Yes, that's also mentioned in the DVD commentary. They couldn't afford to have Uh the special effects to have Orko flying around in every scene. Right. Which is too bad, because Gwildor really was sort of a poor substitute for Orko. I completely disagree. Is that right? I like Gwildor. I perhaps I like Gwildor mind. more than Orko. <gasps> Blasphemy. Blasphemy. <laughs> hey, I still like Orko more than Cal. Hmm, that's not saying a lot. <laughs> uh, I like I like Cal. I like Orko. I think I like Orko a bit better, but uh, yeah, Gwildor is definitely at the bottom of the comedy relief characters from Masters. Well, let's get into this Gwildor issue. I'd really like to know why... <laughs> Why you do not like Gwildor. What rubs you the wrong way? Because I just, I thought he was great in the movie. I, I had no problems. I love the cosmic key. Yeah, the key was cool. Especially the little tune it played. Love it. I love the tune, yes. It's good. Yeah. But, but I, I don't hate Gwildor or anything. But just comparatively speaking, I think Orko is a lot cooler. 
And I totally uh, agree with Katie on that. The the issue for me with Gwildor is, you know, if you if you, if they had to come up with a replacement for Orko, which obviously they felt that they did, it should not have been someone so crucial to the story. We already uh, were very limited in the film uh, to the you know with the characters who we were going to see the movie for. You've only got a handful of your uh, core masters characters and a lot, uh, far too many new characters. If uh, they wanted to create Gwildor to replace Orko, he should have had a much more minor role. He was sort of pivotal to the entire story. and It was just a little too much, I think. I don't hate him or anything either, but a uh, little too much Gwildor and not enough of the other characters. Don't you feel, though, that since this is a new medium and obviously Mattel would have thought it was going to be a big hit that Mattel would want to put new characters in there to sell toys. And that's fine, but don't eliminate uh, so much of your core cast. That would, that would have been my argument. Well, who, who do you feel should have been the core cast of heroes and villains in the movie? Well, we primarily have, on the villain side through the movie, the only three that we have that we're already familiar with are Human, or, I'm sorry, Skeletor, Evelyn, and Beastman. On the good guy's side, we've got uh, He-Man... Tila and Man at Arms, and then the Sorceress is just sort of there. I, I mean, I guess that is your your core groups. If you had to narrow it down to three, obviously um, it would have been nice and probably far too expensive to see some uh, of the other main villains um, that got a lot of airtime in the original cartoon, like Trapjaw, like Triclops, like Merman. I don't see how they could have been too much more expensive than whatever that lizard dude was. Yeah, that's a very that's valid point. True. It's a valid point. Um, and you got to remember, too, the, the toy industry back in the 80s was quite a bit different than it is today. You could still walk into a toy shop in 1987 and find a Beastman figure, find a Trap Jaw figure. Um, they never really stopped producing them, as far as I could tell. I, I remember, or at least produced so many, that they still had plenty on the shelves and I think, because uh, I remember seeing, you know, still seeing Mermans and things, even as late as 19, probably 88. That being the case, advertising, you know, characters that, as long as they're selling the figures, the figures are still on the shelves. Um, I think the movie probably would have done a lot better if um, the characters that the fans were going to go see, wanted to see in a live action movie, actually were in the film. I wish we could have seen some Prince Adam in the movie, but there was never really a time where... There wasn't danger going on that He-Man had to be in action for. But that would have been interesting. Plus, I'm sure they were quite worried about a transformation sequence special effects yeah. cost. Although, they didn't really even have to go very elaborate. It could have been a whole flash of light and then he turned into He-Man. But yeah. I digress. There was no <laughs> transformation sequence, which is one of the questions I asked my dad. Why wasn't there one in the movie? Oh, yeah. <laughs> but of course, he did not know the answer, but... The movie. Well, something, too, I think that we have to bear in mind, this was 1987. The cartoon was still in syndication, still being played pretty much on a daily basis, uh, as far as I can recall from my childhood. I don't remember it ever really going off the air through the 80s. Any transformation sequence like what you're describing, like a flash of light or whatever, probably would have left the fans feeling cheated after the beautiful transformation sequence we had in the cartoon. So mm -hmm. from that perspective as well, it's probably a good call that there isn't one. We at least do get at the end of the movie, He-Man in front of Grayskull, 
with his sword up, you know, light shining behind Grayskull as he says, I have the power. So that was Russian accent. Yeah, that was a, that was a nice, uh, nice touch at the end. But I hate to disappoint everyone, but the original script still has Earth and they still go and talk to that cow. <laughs> <laughs> I thought that was They are staring at a large dairy cow. He-Man says, it seems harmless. And then after he moves, Gwildor says, what a hideous cry. (laughs) (laughs) So fear not, everyone. The cow is still there. I know we're all just thrilled. (laughs) And as long as he brought up Earth, that was probably, as as a child, my chief complaint with the film is uh, far too much time spent on Earth, not enough time spent on Eternia. And it kind of goes back to the same thing that I was just talking about. We were going to this movie as fans to see Eternia, to see the characters that we were in love with from the toys and the cartoon, and really didn't get nearly uh, enough of those things when we went to see the movie. Now, Julie and Kevin are a pivotal role in the plot line as well, our two Earthling friends. And yes, Robbie's ribs are, is still in the script, but it's just called a roadside fast food drive-in. And the scene is a little bit longer, so we can thank whoever edited that down. <laughs> that it's a bit shorter in the actual cut of the movie. Okay, what and again, we should mention Julie is played by Courtney Cox, who went on to play Monica Geller in Friends. And Kevin is played by Robert Duncan McNeil, who we mentioned earlier was on Star Trek Voyager as Tom Paris. One of my favorite scenes is Tila with the ribs and calling it such a barbaric world that they're they're eating meat. Yeah. And that that's, I do not recall the cartoon characters being vegetarians. <laughs> I don't either, but thankfully on page 19 of the script, that puppy is still there. <laughs> It is kind of a neat uh, nod that they, they put enough thought into it to think that, you know, hey, maybe on Eternia they don't eat meat and they would think it's an odd concept. And uh, it kind of works in the movie and it kind of works on the world of Eternia. I don't think in the original cartoon that, uh, you know, anything's ever stated that they are vegetarian by any stretch. There is, uh, and it doesn't really uh, qualify because we're talking about villains, but the um, in the episode the one where the it's got beast man eating the chicken is where i was going with that uh prince adam no more prince adam no more thank you um in the episode prince adam no more we do see uh beast man on the villain side uh munching on some chicken so we know at least uh the villains aren't vegetarian but who knows about the heroes and it was a nice touch in the film I'm pretty sure I remember in the royal palace, you know, because there's several scenes of them sitting around the table eating. And I'm, I'd have to, like, go back and watch some episodes to be positive, but I'm pretty sure I remember seeing, you know, some drumsticks or whatever, something meat-looking oh, yes. on the table. How about the one time when Orko is at the dinner table and, and Orko multiplies himself so he can eat more chicken? Yeah. <laughs> there so. you go. So we know they have chickens on Eternia. Yes. For sure. Or some type of synthetic chicken-looking substance. <laughs> That's ag- yeah, it's, yeah, it's tofu chicken. That's what it is. Because they're all vegetarians. The uh, script continues basically 
as you see it on the screen, with uh, the scenes maybe a little bit fleshed out more. But once we get back to Eternia after the cosmic key has been activated and Skeletor is tracking, trying to find where He-Man and his rebels have gone, Skeletor decides to send uh, Surad and Beastman after them. So there's no Blade mentioned. So what are your thoughts on Blade? I like the concept of the character. Um, obviously, the film came out long after I lost my vision, and I never owned the figure, so I can't really comment too much on his design. But I did like, definitely liked the concept, and I think of all of the characters that were created specifically for the film, he was definitely uh, the best, best of the uh, of the lot. I did like that they tried to make a sword. Wait, how do you say that? They tried to make a... He was sort of a Edward Scissor's hands kind of character, wasn't he? But I, I really liked it was someone that could be seen as an equal to He-Man's sword fighting skills. So I really liked His that fencing because abilities. in the cartoon, there was always sword battles, but there was never someone that was actually specifically using the sword as their main weapon. Yeah, they were usually firing things at He-Man and he was deflecting it. Yes. One thing you can be thankful for in the original script, Gwildor meets two Hell's Angels in black leather, one named Big Daddy and one that's called Greaser, which I'm sure is just a descriptive name, but still, Big Daddy and Greaser. By the way, going back to Blade for just one second, I was sort of, my opinion that I was just giving there on him is sort of what my opinion is now. I know as a kid, um, although I wasn't completely... um, annoyed with the blade character i did feel that he was sort of um a uh, sort of a poor replacement as well for the trap jaw character this sort of not quite human not quite cyborg type character and uh, would have been a lot happier seeing trap jaw in the film Uh, i like blade i don't know if i'd i'm not a big i don't hate trap jaw but i wouldn't say i'm enthusiastic about trap jaw that i would be and he's one of my favorite villains. So. Well, that makes sense that you would then want him in the movie. <laughs> yes. um, one thing I don't like in this script is the Big Daddy and Greaser. They, <laughs> it's hard to say that without laughing, but <laughs> right? they're, they're taunting Gwildor, basically, calling him a circus freak, uh, etc. And He-Man shows up and draws his four-foot-long sword. That's how it's described. Um, wow. That's a pretty big sword. That is. and Precursor uh, to the uh, 2000 line, perhaps. They drop Gwildor, and then He-Man slashes their motorbike tires with the sword. <laughs> I thought that was a little unnecessary. He-Man didn't really need to do that. <laughs> yeah, I would say. A you know, little uh, skinhead activity there. Well, at least, at least he wasn't slicing their heads off or something. Very true. Very true. This movie could, could still most likely be rated PG, which does upset me. For the time, though, 1987, they wanted to capture the kid audience, obviously, so PG is yeah. the way to go for that. Although nowadays, it's expected to be PG-13, such as Spider-Man, Batman, all of those superhero movies are PG-13. Not to mention the new Harry Potter film. And yes, and that's definitely geared towards children. I don't know. Oh, no offense. The later books are more. They get pretty know. dark. But still, yeah. where are you going to find them in the bookstore? All right. Actually, they do print in uh, Britain, and I'm not sure possibly even here, print two different versions of the books to stock them in both 
adult and children's sections with different covers, more adult covers and more uh, kid-friendly covers. That's true. I have heard of them doing that in Britain. I don't think they do it here, but they're probably in the bestseller uh, section here. <laughs> Everybody loves them except Shadow. I like the movies. <laughs> okay, back to He-Man. <laughs> yes, this is not Muggles cast. This is Masters cast. You Potter freaks now. <laughs> oh, you know what? That's worse than my Thundercats comment. So please, everyone, do hey, not send yeah. us voicemails on I that. like Harry Potter. I just don't read the books. I love <laughs> that's, the movies. That's for me as well. Great movies. Okay. So we one thing that's quite different about this script is there's no Karg, and Beastman has basically all of his speaking parts, such as when Surad and Beastman arrive in the uh, high school gymnasium. Beastman is doing all the talking, such as, you know, take her alive. She may know where to find the key, search every room, etc. And I probably would have definitely preferred that. Not a Karg fan at all. I agree. If anything, Karg seemed like a waste to me in this movie. If you're going to go through that much trouble to create someone that did not even get an action figure, and I don't know if there were plans to make an action figure of him, but at least throw in someone else that does have an action figure that could help sell. Right, exactly. If anything, Karg is the one that I feel was useless in the movie. I'd rather have Gwildor or something to that extent than Karg. And again, it would have probably pleased the fans quite a bit to have a character that uh, they're already familiar with have a little bit more of an important role in the movie. Beastman really didn't do a lot in the film. Our good friend Surad also speaks in the script a few times. Where is He-Man in the Cosmic Key? Where is the Cosmic Key? Not a very bright person. He seems to repeat himself a lot, but <laughs> he did speak. But I, I really liked his toy as a child. I know you wouldn't have been able to see it, but the sparks came out of his mouth. I, I thought that was awesome. I always thought I was going to end up setting something on fire by accident. <laughs> yeah, I don't think that that figure would be released today in the same form. Oh, I agree. I agree. And... We should mention that uh, Mattel reused that concept in the 1990s, if you will remember the big controversy and scandal with the Rollerblade Barbie, whose ro rollerblades sparked in a pretty similar way to uh, Sorod and ended up catching things on fire. I remember that. My sister had those. I mean, the Barbie with the rollerblades. Right. Oh. That was a uh, early 90s. Very good bit of trivia there. I didn't know that. There you go. The uh, whole school school gymnasium scene is much longer. They actually go through the school science lab, which uh, makes more sense for there to be the ammonia that she throws in his face <laughs> in the science lab. Then they go to the school campus. They're running through the woods. They're running through a junkyard, which we do see wow. in the in the movie. Well, that's whenever yeah. Julie finds He-Man. And then he has a confrontation with his good old friend, Beast Man. Basically the same type of fight sequence. Throughout the junkyard, He-Man versus Beast-Man and Surad. We just have nothing to say about those. <laughs> it's the movie I'm reading on the here screen. that Dolph Lundgren did uh, all his own stunts in the movie. That's pretty cool. Yes, it is. <laughs> Sylvester Stallone was offered the role of He-Man? What? I don't know. Sometimes you can't trust the internet movie database for it. For its <laughs> trivia, user-submitted trivia, I... Don't remember ever hearing about this. I mean, it makes sense, but Sylvester Stallone is quite short, and I don't really think he could pull yeah. off He-Man, especially if he had to wear a blonde wig. Yeah. So we 
basically the movie continues as you see it on the screen. Lots and lots of Earth scenes. So we're going to skip over that and get to the more juicy scenes, which involve our lovely planet of Eternia. Eternia. Even in the name, you can hear the magic. That's exactly where I was going with that. You beat me to it. (laughs) And if anyone can tell us what that is a reference to, please leave us a voicemail. I'd love to hear if you know what that's from. (laughs) That would be a lot of fun. Now, when our heroes and Detective Lubick go back to Eternia, they end up in a forest. But more importantly, more importantly, they end up seeing Snake Mountain. Tila points to the horizon and the detective turns to look. In the distance, a high barrier like the Great Wall of China meanders across the landscape. Behind the barrier, a grotesque castle dominated by a carved stone snake sits on top of a high peak. The detective starts to tremble. He looks down at his hand, which is shaking so bad he can't aim his gun. Tila gently puts her hand on his arm and takes the gun away from him. What are your thoughts on Snake Mountain not ever being shown, just referenced in the actual motion picture that you watch today? It sucks. It sucks. I probably understand why, the whole budget thing, but it would have been cool if they had included it. Yeah, I agree. Uh, Snake Mountain's definitely, you know, there's two crucial key landmarks on Eternia. It's Castle Grayskull and Snake Mountain. And having a live-action movie where... Snake Mountain is, uh, you know, referenced very few times and not shown at all. Um, was a bit disappointing. Now our good heroes end up going underneath Grayskull, like they do in the movie. But unlike the movie, the script actually tells us what's what's underneath Grayskull in the caverns. Hmm. And what? And why don't you tell us what that is, Shannon? <laughs> <laughs> well, first off, the more important scene before I tell you what is. Down in the depths of Grayskull. He-Man explains to Kevin and Julie that his... The more important thing is that He-Man mentions that he's actually from Earth. Or more so his mother. We came from Earth originally. My mother was an astronaut. Years in your future, around the 22nd century, is whenever Marlena, who is not mentioned by name, except for mother, came to the great land of Eternia. He-Man shows them a galactic star map, a NASA insignia, and a large American flag, all stored underneath Castle Grayskull. Huh. And that's actually pretty cool, which probably should have been done, I think. I like the reference to Marlena's backstory, and uh, I also like the fact that that definitely is a clear-cut indication that the Cosmic Key not only was a uh, spatial travel device, but a time travel device as well, which is something that's pretty ambiguous in the actual final product of the film. Yeah, I didn't catch on to that at all. That would have been a really cool thing to know. Okay. Now, after the whole Earth explanation, which I love, and it should have been in the movie, as as you agree, Gwildor releases a guy called Wizard out of his prison. I don't know why he's locked up underneath Grayskull. I assume Skeletor captured these people but he's locked up underneath Grayskull. And uh, this dude comes out and he's the one that heals Julie's leg. Hmm. As you recall earlier in the movie, her leg was damaged by Skeletor. Now there would have been interesting. It it would be interesting to know if this wizard character was uh, planned as a figure eventually in the future, since uh, 
really none of the other um, hero characters aside from Gwildor um, really lent themselves to action figures. I can't imagine them have made have making a uh, Lubick or Julie action figure, but um, Wizard seems like he would have fit well into that category since we did get quite a few villains in the toy line from the movie. Now, also in the dungeon, he is not alone. There is also Blastar, who can fire powerful energy beams from his hands. Mandroid, the left side of whose body is pure robot with powerful weapons concealed in the robot half. Netor, who can fling thin gossamer nets stronger than heavy steel cable. And Miro Man, whose armor is covered with shiny mirror segments that can catch and reflect back the laser beams of his opponents. Hmm. All very cool character ideas and much better than any of the new characters that actually ended up in the film. I agree. <laughs> I would I would like to I would have liked to see a lot of these in the film or as action figures in the later line and maybe we would have got those if well no, scratch that because they weren't even shown in the movie. I was gonna say if the movie was more popular. <laughs> I assume um, these were cut out because of budget constraints and they're just sitting there in the prisons. And I do have to wonder if the Netor character you were just talking about is um, any tie-in to the Natasa character released in the Princess of Power line. It could be because She-Ra and He-Man toy lines shared a lot of ideas. And there was uh, plans at one point during the production of the movie to include She-Ra. They went so far as to do a costume concept design as well. Yes. Uh, I wouldn't say that it was the greatest design, but it did fit in with the rest of the design of the movie. I want to see it. I'll email it to you. Okay. But She-Ra has quite large, frizzy, curly, I don't know how to describe it, hair. (laughs) Um, Her costume, of course, looks completely different. And that's what, you know, you have to go by. This script does not have She-Ra in it. I have never been able to come across a script that actually has She-Ra in it, so I don't know if there was ever a draft that they tried to insert her into the movie. Hmm. It probably, as much as I would have liked to have seen She-Ra in the film, it's probably a good thing that she didn't, because the story probably would have come become much too convoluted at that point. It would have been nice if they did a sequel, which they did do and write, and it was, if you don't like this movie, the, it was so, the sequel would be so far from Eternia, you're back to Earth, Skeletor is a human, and all this weird jazz, he takes over a body. You don't, you don't want to hear about it. Just erase <laughs> that sentence from your memories. Because, and Shiro was not in the sequel either, so. But yeah, I've uh, never actually seen the movie Cyborg. But, oh, the script for the actual Masters of the Universe, though, uh, to be the cyborg movie, it would have had to completely be rewritten, revamped. It doesn't bear any resemblance even to the movie Cyborg, Aww. which is often referenced as Masters of the Universe 2 Cyborg. Sometimes it was on television. Hmm. Our good friends Wizard and Mirror Man and everything, they joined the battle in Grayskull after they're freed. Opinions on the battle scene in Grayskull? I really don't have an opinion on it because I can't see it anyway. <laughs> um, I'm trying to remember it, actually. I thought um, it was quite well. I, I loved the whole, you know, finally, He-Man, Skeletor, let this be our final battle. I, I really like that. Yeah. yeah, the dialogue was actually pretty good through that scene. Very dramatic. 
I yeah. like the whole Skeletor turning gold, you know, with his, his costume. Really? I actually hated that part. Really? Yeah, tell me why you liked it. Tell me why you liked it. Hmm. I don't really know why I liked it. I guess it was just different. You know, as a kid watching that, it, uh, hmm, I really don't know how to describe that. <laughs> it was just very different from the, the Skeletor from the cartoon that we all know and love. It made him seem more powerful and more, it made him seem more threatening as a villain, I think. It just... Well, I guess that I didn't like it because gold is usually associated with good in my thinking. And he had all that huge headdress on. It was all gold. I would have rather seen something like battle armor Skeletor revamped or something when he got the power. (laughs) Or something that looked more evil to me. For me, um, though I've not seen it, I mean, the idea was to show him taking over the power of Grayskull, yes? Yes. And my thought on that is that they would have been much better served keeping Skeletor looking the same as he does through the rest of the film and showing the extra power that he's gotten versus changing his physical appearance to sort of lend the illusion of. Show him blast a wall out of the way or something like that. Obviously... There was budgetary constraints. They can only do so much with the special effects, but that would have been uh, probably a more powerful and better way to go. I agree. I agree. I'm just not a fan of the gold armor, but we'll forgive Katie for adoring it. <laughs> <laughs> now, if you I hate, have to be the oddball. <laughs> if you hate the Earth kids, they get thrown down the bottomless pit. No, they don't. Well, they do in my script. <laughs> <gasps> That's horrible. Do they really? They get killed. No, they don't get the killed. Pit. They don't get killed, no. but they are thrown. It's a bottomless pit. You're going to fall forever. <laughs> well, and how are they rescued? <laughs> well, I'll tell you how they were rescued, my dear. Oh, they get rescued. Okay. Well, let me get to the page. <laughs> and I should note that despite the fact that I'm not happy with the fact that so much of it was set on Earth, I really did like the characters of Julie and Kevin. If they had to go on Earth, the characters they created to be the... Uh, ambassadors of our planet were uh, were very well done. Mm-hmm. I've forgotten at the end when they send Julia and Kevin back to Earth, is it the sorceress who does it or is it the key they it's use It's the again? key. Okay, well that explains the time travel thing then because they send her back, you know, several days early so she can save her parents. Yes, and, and Gwildor asks if she, she wants to go back and see the dinosaurs or... Things like that. Oh, that's right. Very good. Very good point. I had completely forgotten about that. Once the sorceress is out of her uh, prison from Skeletor, she has Kevin and Julie float back up the bottomless pit. Ah. Free at last. No longer can you use my power against the forces of good, says our dear friend Tilana, who, no, is still just called sorceress. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I was as much as I like uh, Christina Pickles, not really pleased with her as the sorceress, though she didn't have a lot of lines in the movie. She just was. I loved totally... her lines in the movie, though. Yeah, her lines were fine. Yeah, but um, and I've, you know, I, I don't dislike the actress. I just don't think she was well cast for this film. She was a bit old for the sorceress. Mm-hmm. The way just she presented herself in the movie, plus. She, the costume was quite, quite different than the cartoon. Mm-hmm. But um, she had that big crystal thing on her head. One thing I like about this script, when 
in the movie when He-Man gets his sword back and he recharges it, in the movie he says, I have the power. Oh. Very bad, very bad, He-Man. That is not what you're supposed to say when you recharge yourself. <laughs> and I will reference the secret of the sword when He-Man has been drained by the Magna Beam Charger. She-Ra gives him his sword back and to re-energize himself, he goes back and says, by the power of Grayskull which is what he does in the original script. So I don't know why they changed that. Yeah, it's interesting. Over the years, and this goes for the movie as well as a lot of other things, the I Have the Power line has been pushed at the fans as the catch line for He-Man. We had a book, one of the golden books from the during the original run called I Have the Power. He says I have the power in the film, it's still uh, kept in the new adventures of He-Man after the transformation sequence, even though the by the power of Grayskull part is gone. Um, in the new lo- uh, Masters, I Have the Power has been sort of the catchphrase. The battle sound figure spoke that line. Uh, some of the kid-sized electronic swords spoke that line. And yet, as a kid, to me, the catchphrase from watching the original cartoon was always by the power of Grayskull. That was what I associated with the character far more than the I have the power line. And I I would think that's got to be true for a, at least a good percentage of the fans. What, what do you guys think? Hmm. I guess I was fed the I have the power more, so it kind of stuck with me. But I don't know. They're both kind of equal in my mind. I'm definitely on the side of by the power of Grayskull because I used to run around the house saying by the power of Grayskull, not I have the power. Exactly. It's it's because that is the... An- you know, the initiation, the the, the invocation ca- the, of the the catalyst that brings the power to him. Exactly. It opens the jaw bridge, it re-energizes He-Man, it does everything. It's not I have the power. But in any case, I don't know why they changed it in the movie. Does he ever say by the power of Grayskull in the movie? I don't think so. I don't believe so, no. Which I guess makes sense because you, you don't have that transformation sequence, but for the re- energizing sequence he should have said by the power of grayskull like it is in this original script would have been a much much better call now we mentioned in an earlier podcast how the battle scene at the end they just use some rotating light as he-man and skeletor battle and then of course eventually skeletor is thwomped down into the bottomless pit himself although we find out at the end 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 of the movie it really wasn't bottomless but (laughs) But the at scene, that scene is completely different in the original script. And it's much better. He-Man and Skeletor go in battle on the rooftops of Eternia. (laughs) I know that sounds silly, but it's written much better than I described it. He-Man emerges on the roof landing port of the city, the same spot where the victorious Skeletor had arrived to take command. Skeletor is running towards a black bird-like airship, which is waiting with its engines running. He-Man overtakes him and attacks him with a flurry of sword strokes. Sounds a bit more dramatic. It is. It's very much more dramatic. And Skeletor ends up falling off of a cliff instead of uh, the bottomless pit into very jagged rocks and all that gruesome stuff. Ooh. It sounds like the original script was uh, definitely aimed at a slightly older audience than the film that we ultimately got. It does. Like I said, I, I still think it would be rated PG, but it was definitely a little more gritty. 
Mm-hmm. And that probably would have made the film a little bit better as well and more successful. We will mention that it did make back its budget, but that's not that's accounting right. for advertising costs. Mm. And it did well enough that some 14, 15 years later, they did opt to release it on DVD with really much better extras than we had any uh, right to expect from a DVD release. Oh, we will mention He-Man is not the one that throws Skeletor off the cliff into the rocks. That is because Skeletor is trying to be sneaky and surrender and, you know, fool He-Man. Well, ha ha ha. (laughs) That doesn't work on Eternia, bucko. And then because of what he does, he ends up falling down the cliff and into the rocks. He-Man shatters Skeletor's staff with one final blow of his sword. Skeletor kneels, exhausted, in front of He-Man. Do not kill me, He-Man. I surrender, proclaims Skeletor. He-Man hesitates a second, astonished that Skeletor would beg for mercy. He lowers his sword. I will take you prisoner, says He-Man, if you will... He-Man doesn't get to finish because Skeletor takes advantage of the moment's hesitation to pull a hidden dagger and lunge for He-Man's vitals. He-Man dodges. Skeletor misses and the force of his own attack carries him over the parapet. As he falls, Skeletor grabs for a stone ledge. He grabs hold of it and his grip is powerful enough to stop his fall, but the rotten stone breaks right under his weight and he falls down again toward the jagged rocks below. Skeletor lands and impales himself on the sharp rocks. Okay. So it's kind of like the fake or thing. He trips. <laughs> yes. Because He-Man dodges Skeletor's attack. Oh, now there is no... Uh, at the end, end of the movie, after the credits, Skeletor pops his head out of a purple-looking, oozing pool and says that he'll be back. Obviously, that was added since in both this script and what we see, you assume Skeletor has been defeated. Yeah, defeated, taken care of, goodbye. But if you want to have a sequel, you have to have Skeletor come back since, at least with the He-Man property, we have King Hiss and everything, and we have Hordak. But since Hordak was more associated with She-Ra at the time, obviously Skeletor was going to make an appearance Mm -hmm. in a sequel. Much like Lex Luthor continued to be in Superman sequels. Skeletor is like the Lex Luthor, I would say, of the Masters of the Universe property. He is the main villain. Mm-hmm. It's hard to do a movie without him because the general public is not going to know King Hiss, is not going to really know Hordak. So if you want that mass appeal, got yeah, Skeletor, Skeletor is definitely an icon. All right, final thoughts on the movie, Josh? Uh, overall, I enjoy it a lot more uh, now as an adult than I did as a kid. Um, as a kid, I was really disappointed when I went to see the live-action movie. Um, now I'm able to enjoy it for what it is and uh, have a lot more fun with it. And it was a it was a good attempt. There's talk and rumors flying around about another live-action movie sometime in the next couple of years, directed by John Woo, and hopefully. They'll do a better job and learn from the mistakes of the original. Katie? I still love the movie just as much as I did when I was a kid. I must have watched it a pretty decent amount of times uh, when I was a child, because when I watch it now, it still brings back memories, you know, of that time period. 
Uh, so to me, it's just a nostalgic movie, just like a lot of movies out of the 80s that I love to rewatch. Um, it really hasn't lost its magic for me. So I think that's cool that it's stood the test of time, I guess you could say. And I, I have to say, I, I love it as well. I had it on VHS, Laserdisc, now DVD. Obviously, I'm not going to buy those if I don't want to watch the movie. <laughs> and one thing we did not mention, I love... A lot of people say it just sounds like a knockoff mixture of the Superman music and Star Wars music, but I love the score that Bill Conti, who's famous for doing uh, the Rocky movies, the score he did for this film I thought was phenomenal. And I agree. I like the Superman score. I like mm-hmm. the Star Wars score. <clears throat> I like the Star Wars score. So if you take two things that you like and you mush them together, well, how would I hate it? <laughs> And uh, yeah, I totally uh, hear what you're saying. I do enjoy the uh, the score. I have been trying to get the soundtrack for years and still don't have a copy. And but did enjoy uh, did enjoy it. I see what people are saying about it being a little bit of a knockoff, but um, but it was well done. It was appropriate for the type of film that it was, and it was a it was a well written score. I wanted to mention real quick what other '80s cartoon or not necessarily cartoon, but well, yeah, let me rephrase. Uh, what other 80s cartoons were made into live-action movies? I can think of Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Um, Super Mario was, Brothers. It was? I don't remember that. That's why. Although that was more of a video game <laughs> yeah. property. But, than but a... still, it, it had a cartoon. Right. Um, that was a terrible movie. That movie, if, from if, what I remember. if people think that the, this He-Man movie is too far off from base of what He-Man is. No, no, no. You have to see the Super Mario Brothers movie. That is horrible. (laughs) Horrible. But the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles movie was good. Yeah, I did enjoy that one. I liked it. Yeah, I remember enjoying at least the first one. Yeah, I also liked Secret of the Ooze, the sequel. Uh, The third one I didn't like. But I I did enjoy the Ninja Turtles movies. I would say those... Those are probably, for a cartoon adaptation, not counting comic books, uh, I would say Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles did a the best job that I can think of. Yeah. Especially if they had sequels. Real sequels, not fake sequels like we got. Yes. Yes. <laughs> and it's time now to check our voicemail and see what the fans uh, have been saying to us. Hey, this is Rain, also sometimes known as Mighty Rain. Just wanted to give a big shout out to... Katie, John, and Josh, and say that they're doing a great job on this Mastercast, and we all appreciate the hard effort you're putting into such a great 80s product, Masters of the Universe. Thank you all. Hey, John, Josh, and Katie. This is Rob, a.k.a. S.A. He-Man from the Thought Chat. Um, I'd have to say my favorite episode is from the new box set is uh, Colossal Awakes probably just because it's the only episode I actually remember after all these years. I still can kind of, like, go with the flow and remember what happens when. Um, And it had a lot of cool stuff, I thought, like, from He-Man attacking the Collector and tricking Skeletor, you know, to saving Men-at-Arms and Orko and all of them. But also it had, like, Marlena, you know, trying to, like, heal Men-at-Arms while Randor's just sat there like an idiot going, we're running out of time. Please, you have to help them. So that's my favorite episode. So there you go. Hey guys, just wanted to say amazing job with the podcast. This is Lupa Luna from the .org. Um, I really, really thought that you guys did a great job. 
Thank you for saying sorry about the Thundercats. <laughs> um, on another note, the fan spotlight was absolutely amazing, even more heartwarming than usual. You guys have done a masterful job, and this really just goes to show that the Human and Shira community will always be Thanks together. for listening. We hope to have a special scary Halloween edition for you next week if we can pull it all together, so cross your fingers for that. I'm John Callis, also known as The Shadow. I'm Josh DeLioncourt, also known as Just Lioncourt. And I'm Katie Cartier, also known as Rainbow Bright. Good, Good journey. journey.